first and foremost, do what you love. If you're doing what you love, the rest is going to come. If you do what you love, the money will come or the you know, recognition or whatever it is that you're in business for. So if there's something that you really want to do, just do it. It's always going to be scary. You have to take a chance sometimes, right? Welcome to the very first episode of Here's How It's Done, brought to you by the Women's Enterprise Centre of Manitoba, the go-to place for women looking to start or expand their business. I'm your host, Kate Friesen. This show is for you if you have ever dreamt about taking that chance, doing what you love, and starting your own business. It's for you if you are taking the leap and launching. So glad you're here. And if you are already a business owner, amazing. You are in the right place too. On this podcast, you will hear inspiring firsthand stories from enterprising women from all over Manitoba and get tips from other experts in the field. I'm an entrepreneur myself and story actually drives my own business. I'll tell you more about my leap to launch later on in the show. First, I can't wait to introduce you to the owner of Fat Dog. That's spelled F-A-T-D-A-U-G. Fat Dog stands for father-daughter. So it's my dad that taught me the art of antler carving. It's rewarding working with the antler. Every time you cut into it, you never know what you're going to get in terms of color or texture. So I call it the Forrest Gump of... (laughs) of carving. You never know what you're going to get, right? That's right. Candace Lippischak carves antlers, moose, deer, caribou, elk. She told me carving has taught her a lot about herself and her Métis heritage. That carving also fuels her jewelry design, which is a big part of Fat Dog's growing successful business. I met Candace last winter, pre-COVID, driving down frozen gravel roads to find the place where she lives and works in the country, close to the small town of Ottoburn. I've thought a lot about Candace's story in the past few months, because she has faced some incredible and unexpected challenges in life and in business. She knows what it means to pivot and come out the other side stronger, resilient, resourceful. And given the challenges we business owners are facing right now, I figured this was the right story to kick off this inaugural podcast. Like many of us, Candace didn't grow up thinking she would go into business, with her father no less. But the story really does start when she was a kid, hanging out with her dad. We did everything together. I was the tomboy. I only have the one sister, Mia, and she was kind of like the princess. So when it came to changing the brakes on the car or an oil change, or, you know, this is how the mechanics of the lawnmower works or the, you know, whatever it was, I was always learning from my dad. And he took the time to explain things to me. It was like, this is how things work. What's one of the skills that you have now that you learned from your time with your dad when you were younger? Anything that involves using your hands, like wood carving. He was a very avid wood carver. Um, So I had my own little pen knife to to whittle with and stuff like that. Um, Mechanics, the way that works. You know, I mean, I use a lot of tools these days and I'm not afraid to use them. Candace didn't use those tools at first when she started working. When she got out of school, she landed a job at the Department of French Education in Winnipeg. And I was hired for my drawing talent because some of those uh, drawings would go into the curriculums to 
you know, brighten it up or whatever. So uh, it slowly led into graphic design. I learned on the job, uh, different programs, Photoshop and InDesign. And, and yeah, that's how I became a graphic designer. I love the fact that I worked in social studies. And for me, I learned about my Métis culture. That is something that really inspired me because I started reading more about the Red River Rebellion and Louis Riel and the resilience. And that was a, a bonus for me. And that was the introduction to embracing my culture a bit more because that wasn't exactly um, shared in the family. It was something that was kept quiet. So it was hard to learn everything um, when you didn't even know what a folder or a subfolder was, <laughs> you know, like not having gone to college or university. Uh, so learning everything on the job was challenging, but it was fun. Candace was in her 20s then, living in Winnipeg and happy to be working at a job that was challenging and creative. Then life took a harsh turn. In 2000, I walked in the middle of an armed robbery in progress. So that led to um, PTSD and anxiety. And um, I don't really recall the next two or three years after that because there was a lot of trauma that came from that with a gun and uh, your safety being jeopardized. Um, and then I was diagnosed with MS. So it was a real package <laughs> of um, emotion and physical challenges to, to overcome as well as uh, mental challenges. And I, I've talked about it so many times. You know, I've, I've talked about it in schools, in classrooms, with kids, about mental challenges. And and what do they think I have as a disability? And they, you know, well, you look great. You know, it's just not about looking great or looking happy or smiling. People really go through some things that are very difficult that you can't see on the outside. And MS is like that as well. It's a debilitating disease um, that people don't necessarily see. They don't see the fatigue and they don't see the the pain um, or the challenges that we face. So yeah, it was a good time to get out and um, follow my path that, that was meant to be mine because evidently I wasn't meant to stay there, right? So I'm grateful for that. It's a, it's a weird thing to say, but I don't think I'd be here right now if it wouldn't have been for all these challenges that I faced, you know, because it makes you realize that life's too short. So quitting the government, you have no benefits, your pension is gone. And I remember the folks going, um, are you sure? Like, are you really sure? And you just have to take the leap. You know, you have to follow your gut, follow your instincts, and then follow your heart. And you're only doing it for yourself. No one could do it for you. If you're not happy, you have to change that. Following advice is great, but following your own self is really what you have to do and, and listening to your inner voice. And for me, my inner voice was saying, go with it. What can you lose? You could just learn more about yourself and others and put yourself out there. I feel like there's certain challenges in my life too that have actually led me to to be in the spot that Absolutely. I was called to be. Yeah. So when you say you chose a different path, the first thing you did was you went into design, right? Right. Yeah. I, I created a, a business called Production Canart Productions. And I just started doing layouts and logos and whatnot and business cards. And, and then it slowly branched out into something new, like about five years ago. 
um, it just really picked up. I, I started giving uh, workshops, so Métis workshops in schools, and that just kind of evolved into uh, more artwork, and it just kind of snowballed from there, I, I would think, the ideas and the creativity and, and the opportunities. I ran with every opportunity that was given to me, whether it be um, contests, Entrepreneurs with Disabilities, I entered that contest in 03 and I won first place. So it got me $1,000 to start uh, my business, to, to buy my laptop and, and, you know, to do more work from home. I went into Dragon's Den's Vision Quest. Uh, it was a business competition, business plan competition, and I, I won first place in that as well. That was in 2013, I believe. So that was $5,000, which furthered my business so whatever opportunities came my way, I pretty much jumped on it. Candace won that Vision Quest contest in 2013, and that was the year that Fat Dog was launched. It all started when her dad convinced her to get behind the cutting wheel to try her hand at carving an antler. I was nervous. It was like sweaty, palmed nervousness because you're working with a, a Dremel or, or a tool or cutting wheels that, you know, could take your finger off. So you... You get nervous and you get clammy and you kind of have to, you know, stretch and, and rub your palms on your jeans a couple of times. And the smell is putrid because it's a, it's a calcium, you know. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, will I be able to get over this stink, you know. But it was fun. It was so much fun, you know, working with the antler was, it's rewarding because every time you cut into it, you never know what you're going to get in terms of color or texture. So I call it the Forrest Gump of, <laughs> of, of carving. You never know what you're going to get, right? It was an aha moment for me, I think. Knowing that I could do it and knowing that this was something different that people may not have seen before. So you said it was like an aha moment. Mm -hmm. So did you turn to your dad and say, hey, dad, let's go into business? It was maybe a few weeks later or maybe a month later, when I started really getting used to how to work the machinery, I was thinking the overhead isn't very high. Uh, it's organic. There are a lot of hunter-gatherers that don't know what to do with the antler. Um, you know, maybe we could just see where this leads, you know what I mean? And, and it was actually my partner that came up with the name Fat Dog. And it started with one little market and... You know, and people were fascinated and people loved the idea of our name, that we worked together, that we were using all parts of the animal because we are Métis. It was all that for us. It was our culture. It was about embracing the animal spirit in full and, and giving thanks to it and using it in all ways possible. And um, people really gravitated towards that. I don't know if it was because it's so grounding or it's it's organic or it's because it's father-daughter and, and they really got a kick out of that. Uh, but what, whatever it was, it was, a, it was a good move, obviously, because um, it's been very well received so far. That's great. Yeah. You have a lot of hats. I do. <laughs> I do. I love hats. <laughs> You're an antler carver, a jewelry designer, a Métis workshop facilitator, visual artist, and you're a business owner. Yes. So when you put your business owner hat on, right, and you started Fat Dog, and you go, okay, I'm going to go to the market. Is that how you did your market research? 
I really looked into uh, price point. I learned how to, what my time was worth. I really did a lot of research business-wise, small business-wise, website. You know, I created my own website. I designed my own business cards. So from my background in um, graphic design, I didn't have to source all these people out to do this for me. So I was just able slowly but surely get all these things done that I needed to to launch Fat Dog, really. I went to um, Community Futures for a loan, you know, and with my winnings from the other contests that I was in, I was I was able to get the machines that I needed and, and to get started in that sense. So yeah, I the reason why I thought it was doable is because a lot of it I was able to do on my own. And what is your dad's role in the business? He gives a lot of advice in terms of artistry. He does a lot of the the major cutting on the bandsaw because I don't feel as comfortable with that yet. And that's about it. Like the rest is pretty much my own. So we'll get together every couple of weeks, do some major cutting, talk about design or markets that are coming up or what we should concentrate on. And, and basically I'm in charge of the rest. You mentioned uh, when we were talking earlier that the first markets that you went to, you learned a lot about where you should and shouldn't be selling your stuff. Absolutely. You want to talk a bit about that kind of market research? or Yeah, so if you're, let's say, you're showing in a gallery where uh, La Maison des Artistes or, or somewhere that's a lot more creative, people are more receptive to your work because you're in the right um, you're in the right element. You have the right ambiance. So if you're doing a market where there are commercial vendors, where there's, you know, like leggings and Tupperware, it takes away from your craft. It it really takes away from who you are and the art that, that comes with that. So that I learned um, that those markets weren't for us and to find your, your niche. So Festival du Voyageur, very Métis, very well received, obviously. So so they've been great to accept us in their artisan market. Yeah, it's really to find out which markets uh, work best for you and which other vendors are going to be at those markets that would complement your merchandise. And juried exhibitions are a lot more important, I feel, because you've been accepted by a group of peers that deem you worthy of, of being at their market. And you're with all these amazing, incredible makers and artisans that do things by hand everything is by hand so you really have that demographic that's coming for those pieces because they want something that has been made with someone's passion and and heart and love you're making something with passion and heart and love and then you have to price it yes so when you were getting advice on that what was advice that you took and what was stuff that you just went with your gut and said, no, I'm not going to do that? I never really had advice in pricing. I just went with a price point that I thought I would be comfortable paying as as a customer. This is how long it takes. Um, however, this, I feel, is is a reasonable price, Right. So I've had people say, oh, when you get really famous, you know, or when Fat Dog goes far, you can start charging a lot more. And it's like, that's not what Fat Dog is about. We're there so that everyone could get a piece of a Fat Dog and and wear it for the rest of their lives or pass it down to their kids or their grandkids. That was important for me is to make sure that everyone had access to that, even though it was something that was handmade, and to make sure that my costs were taken care of as well. 
Tell me about a customer, you know, when you did the transaction where you just felt like this is exactly why I'm doing what I'm doing. Yes, I've had a few of those moments. Many of those moments were with kids. Some of those moments were with adults. There are just times when some pieces are meant for people. You know, um, this this one gentleman had four kids at home. He bought a keychain that was twenty dollars. He just couldn't get over the artwork, and he says, "You know, if I had more, I, I would buy so many more." And he gave me a story about being accepted within an indigenous community, and he became part of a bear clan. And that is something incredibly special to be accepted with within a family like that. And I had a bear pendant, and it was priced at seventy nine dollars, and. There was something about the genuineness of this person and the experience that he went through. I mean, he had a medicine pouch around his neck, you know, so I knew he was like a brother. And um, I said, you know, John, this one's for you. This one is definitely for you. And it was the bear paw with a bear insignia on it. And that grown man cried. He cried. We both cried. We all cried, actually. And that's what... Another reason why I do this is because of moments like that, you know? It makes me so happy to make other people happy. And that's why I know I'm, I'm on the right path. So that I don't have to ask you what your measure of success is. No. This is it. When you can connect with people like that, total strangers, regardless of age or race, or economic status. And some people, you just feel that connection. And sometimes people just need to know that you're a pretty awesome person. That is an underlying business principle for you, which I love. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> what are the other things that make your business, um, I mean, you're successful on many levels because you're supporting yourself you're out here in this beautiful part of the world. Yes, for sure. I know that one of your your signs that you're on the right path is that your heart is aligned with the work. Yes, absolutely. What are the other things that have made your business successful or decisions that you've made or approaches? It's really about putting yourself out there. So like for myself, it's been interviews, whether it be a podcast or television or a commercial, you know, online to really get people to know who you are because you might be selling something, but you're also kind of selling yourself. People love to know who you are. People love to know the kind of person that you are and why you got started. And they're just really moved by that or they're encouraged by that, right? So I would say listen to advice and first and foremost, do what you love. If you're doing what you love, the rest is going to come. If you do what you love, the, the money will come or the you know, recognition or whatever it is that you're in business for. So if there's something that you really want to do, just do it. I mean, if it's scary, it's always going to be scary. There's always going to be a challenge. You're always going to be nervous. There's always going to be anxiety or you're always going to question yourself, but that's natural. So as long as you have answers to those questions and they're positive ones, I mean, you have to take a chance sometimes, right? So Fat Dog's been going since 2013, so six years, mm -hmm. getting established. Right. In the last couple of years, what was a moment where you just went, oh, 
This is hard. We had a fire in January and we had no water for four months. The fire was in the garage workshop. So I would do my visual art uh, in there because the pieces were quite large. And Charles, my partner, he's uh, a builder. So all of his tools were you know, cumulative over 40 years were, were in there. So it was a big loss for us. It was difficult because the well was in there. So hence why we didn't have water for us to make the homestead run and to make our businesses run was challenging to say the least, because you have the insurance, you have to go through all the contents. It was a hot mess uh, to try to clean everything up, um, to sort through everything. So yeah, it was disheartening and it was very, very challenging, but we get through it, right? So this brings me to resourcefulness. Yes. Probably one of the big things as a business owner. Mm-hmm. So your workshop is burnt down. Mm-hmm. Um, your partner's also lost lots of their tools. You don't have any water here. No. How do you move your work forward? It was wintertime, so we would fill seven five-gallon buckets of snow to melt just to be able to you know, get things running in here, flushing the toilets and whatnot. We would go a quarter mile or a half mile um, or four miles down the road to do our laundry or to shower. That was, you know, our families, our friends. It was late nights sitting at the kitchen table, um, you know, writing up a, a list of losses for the insurance company. And then it was taking care of our own selves on top of that. We both got ill it was a lot of pressure. Uh, I ended up with shingles. <laughs> I'm 43, I had shingles. So that was fun. Not, not fun. So yeah, it was one thing after another. And now we're approaching the end of the year and you just look back and go, wow, we did it. You know, we did it. So it takes a lot of gumption and resilience, but you know, as hard as it is, the days go by and you have to make it work. So now all visual artwork and everything fat dog related is being done in the home and it's chaotic. It's like a, it's like a gallery, (laughs) a very messy gallery. I've got pieces on easels and um, all over the house basically and and stacked up because I have a show coming up. So it is what it is. (laughs) That is resilience. Yes. So when you think about planning ahead, growing your business, mm-hmm. how do you do that and how do you picture that? So there are a lot of boutiques that would like to bring in Fat Dog, so whether it be in Clear Lake or, um, you know, locally or downtown. So for me, my plan is really to branch out in different places in, in Winnipeg and Manitoba so that people can have access uh, to Fat Dog and also nationally. Really, it's to get enough stock to be able to make everyone happy with how many pieces they they can have in their shops and stuff like that. So that's something I'm looking forward to, for sure. You want to have people wearing right. your jewelry, so you don't want to price it out of their range. You need to produce more. How do you deal with that supply and demand chain? It's difficult right now. I'm at the point where it's hard to do everything on my own. Right now, I think I'm at the point, um, especially being able to have so much space in the new place to hire someone to possibly mentor as well. It would mean the world to me to mentor possibly another female even because um, carving and antler carving is is a man's domain. I've, I've found there's not a lot of women that do that. There's not a lot of people that do that period, right? So I think I'm at the point where I'm going to need uh, an extra hand in the studio. It's great that you brought up being a, a woman mm-hmm. in a trade that's been traditionally male. Right. So what do you think needs to open up for more women to get into business? Yeah, I think it's just basically take charge of your ownership of, of the business. And we know our stuff. 
as long as you know your stuff, people won't take you for a ride. People will take you seriously. So when I'm talking about my blades and they're, you know, 32 TPI and whatever, and you have some gentleman, okay, well, she knows her stuff, right? Because you know what you're talking about. So I think a lot of times, depending on which business you're in, if it's male dominant, you might have a bit of that stigma, right? That women can't do it or or whatever. So you just have to prove them that you can, you know? And it's a shame that we have to prove ourselves or that we think we have to prove ourselves. But I think if you know your work, it speaks for itself. And to have um, support from other women, it's just that much more empowering, right? So the Women's Enterprise Network, a lot of other resources that come from women only and, and they understand the hardships of, of where we come from and, and the stereotype, you know, and don't doubt yourself, right? But it's not because it's easy to do. No, you have to literally mentally tell yourself, you've got this. You have to ask yourself, why are you afraid? And, and when you have the answer, how can you not be afraid? How can you lessen that scariness? Um, do you have a mantra that you can say, I got this, I got this? You know, can I swear? I'm the shit. You know what I mean? I am the shit. And you have to think that way to bring yourself up. It's like touchdowns. It's like sports. You know, when you score and they're all like, yeah, like that's how you have to get before you even go out and to say like, I got this. So no, it's not easy every day because you get up in the morning and you're like, I so don't have this. (laughs) How am I going to get this? And I think the best way to do that is to remind yourself to be grateful. Think of five things to be grateful for, you know, and start your day like that. You know, you got up this morning. That's one thing to be grateful for. You have food on the table. You have clothes to wear. You have a roof over your head. The furnace is on. You know, your dog licked your face. You have running water. You have clean water. I mean, we take so many things for granted so many things for granted that when we finally slow down and realize what we have, you know, that the day could get better, even though you're feeling kind of crappy in the morning. That was just the best pep talk I ever had. Thanks. I have it on record. (laughs) I can replay it. That's right. So Candice, thanks so much for taking the time uh, to share so much about your business and your perspective on life. I feel like I just got a big lift just being here with you. Well, it's a ditto on my end as well. Thanks for coming out here and braving the cold and and gravel roads. It's been a slice. Thank you. I recorded that interview with Candice Lippischak back in March. Like I said earlier, pre-COVID. And when I checked in with her recently, I found out, like a lot of us in business, she experienced losses then. The Métis workshops she facilitates in schools were cancelled. The markets where she sells her jewelry closed, and galleries were shuttered in the spring. But she also landed a spot in the Manitoba Rural and Northern Juried Art Show, which is available to all of us online. She recently finished a large commissioned art piece in her brand new studio, and she already had an online store set up where you can check out the jewelry that she is selling. To find those links to Fat Dog and to more of the resources that helped Candace out when she launched, head over to the podcast page at wecom.ca, W-E-C-M dot C-A. You can also find out more about how the Women's Enterprise Centre of Manitoba can support your business. I promised you a story about how I launched my own business. Uh, it's more of a confession 
Because when I left my job just over four years ago, I knew I wanted to start my own business, but I didn't have a plan. I was 54. I made the leap from a known brand. I was working at CBC from a title, a steady paycheck, benefits, and the potential for a good pension. I called a meeting with my boss and told him I was resigning to start my own business. To be honest, I wasn't sure exactly what that business looked like, but I figured I needed a job title, and then I needed to announce that loud and proud. I'm going to do storytelling and capacity building for nonprofits, I said when my work colleagues asked why I was leaving. Congratulations, right, I hired myself. Or, you're brave. Did they mean you are crazy? You have a great job, and have you forgotten you aren't 20 anymore? The story part made sense to me. I have been passionate about story all my life, first as a songwriter and performer, then as a radio documentary maker, and then in news and current affairs. The capacity building was a fancy word for training and development, something I love to do. By saying that job title loud and proud, I managed to get my first two contracts, but still no plan. Then I discovered the Women's Enterprise Centre of Manitoba. I couldn't believe all the resources and advice I got access to, for free, from picking a name to packaging and pricing my services to financial projections and introducing me to other women in the business. The centre helped me build my business faster and with a stronger foundation. And that brings us to the end of Here's How It's Done. If you enjoyed this podcast, head over to weckham.ca and find the podcast page for more. You can also subscribe to this podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Theme music is by Peter McIsaac, additional music by Charlotte Friesen. This episode was mastered by Madeline Roger and produced by me. Until next time, I'm Kate Friesen. Thanks for listening.